0: Let me encourage you, those of you who are in the sanctuary right right now, downstairs, and those watching online, let's take our Bibles and turn to the passage that George read, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 11. That's our passage today as we continue our series, our series Vanity Fair, And before we get into it, let me just start with this. I want to start this morning with an old Aesop's fable that many of you know, whose main characters are the sun and the wind. I thought of this this last week as I was reading Ecclesiastes because the sun and the wind are so prominent in this book. Well, in this Aesop's fable, the sun and the wind get into an argument with each other about who's the mightiest on earth. Who's the mightiest? And so they decide to have this little challenge. There's a man walking about who's wearing a hat and a scarf, a traveler going from city to city. So the sun and the wind decide, you know, whoever can get this traveler to remove his hat and remove his scarf, that is the strongest of the two, the sun or the wind so they go about their work the wind goes first and the wind starts to blow against this traveler and the wind blows 30, 40, 50 miles an hour what does that traveler do? well it doesn't work he just pulls his hat down tighter and puts another knot in his scarf that doesn't work to get the traveler to remove his garments so now it's the sun's turn what does the sun do? Well, the sun decides to go to the highest point in the sky and to just radiate sunshine on this traveler. And it gets warmer and warmer and warmer over time. And sure enough, what does the traveler do? He willingly removes his hat and he willingly removes his scarf. The sun wins, right? And the moral of that story that's, that's very old, the moral is basically this. You can't change a person by force. You've got to use warmth and grace in order to change people. Aesop knew that even apart from scripture. Now, here's why I start with that story this morning. This is not a passage about warmth and grace, okay? (laughs) You probably sense that as George's reading. But I reference that story because... The sun and the wind are both important characters in Ecclesiastes, but they have different functions in this book than they did in Aesop's fable. And what's interesting, too, is that the sun and the wind, you know, in that fable, they're they're adversaries, right? They're competing against one another. Well, in Ecclesiastes, they're working together. They're, They're teammates. They're not rivals. They're working together. They are used by the ancient writer to describe the same things on this earth, namely the futility of life in this world apart from God. So everything that is done in this world apart from God is under the sun, according to Ecclesiastes. And here's the key phrase for the message today. It's chasing the wind. It's, here's how the ESV puts it. It's striving after the wind. I actually prefer the NIV's rendering of this, chasing after the wind. It's chasing the wind. That's what we do under the sun apart from God. The Hebrew word here for chasing or for striving, there's a number of ways to translate this word, and one of the ways that you can translate this word is herding, you know, like like sheep. So you might say it's, it's like herding the wind. You ever tried to herd the wind before? It's like it's like herding cats, all right? It doesn't work. And and why this is a perfect analogy for what's taking place here is because you can you can sense the wind. There, there's something going on there, but you can't control it. You can't capture it. You can't, you know, herd it and put it in the stalls. Life under the sun, as Solomon describes it, is chasing the wind. Now, what does he mean by that and how does he illustrate that in this Passage. Well, here's your outline for today. The message this morning is entitled Chasing the Wind, and I want to give you three ways that people try to discern life's purpose in this world. And Solomon basically calls it chasing the wind. Okay, this message is about the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? One of the core questions that every human being has to answer. What is life's purpose? Well, Solomon doesn't necessarily answer that question, but he tells you how to not get the answer to that question. And it gives you three three activities that he describes as chasing the wind. Here's the first. Go ahead and write this down. We chase the wind when we try to discern life's purpose through intellectualism. We chase the wind when we try to discern life's purpose through intellectualism. Solomon says in verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Verse 13, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. That's good. That's a good activity. Good job, Solomon. But here's what he said. says, it is an unhappy business. It is a grievous task that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now, remember, let's just think about Solomon here. Let's think about this man who was the wisest man in the ancient world. God came to him in a dream, if you remember, and he said, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. And Solomon, because he was feeling, I think, the weight of kingship and trying to fill daddy's shoes, you know, King David was a great king. He knew he needed wisdom because it was a tough gig being the king over Israel. Wisdom, Solomon amazingly asked for wisdom in 1 Kings 3. He needed wisdom, so God granted that request. It says that God gave Solomon a wise and discerning mind. And Solomon became the wisest of wise men. And that wisdom served Solomon well as a young man ruling over Israel. But now, as he writes Ecclesiastes, he's an old, cynical sage. And he's less sanguine here about wisdom. He says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. Look at verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and a striving after wind. Solomon says being wise seeking wisdom displaying wisdom it's it's hevel. Remember hevel? It's vanity. It's 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 like chasing the wind he says. And why would Solomon say that? Why would he say that? Here's why. Look at verse 15. Because what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, here's what he's saying here. It's it's a Genesis 3 world out there. It's a Genesis 3 world. It's a crooked world, and I can't fix it. It's irremediably broken, and I, I can't stop it. I can't change it with my wisdom. It, there's something missing in this world, too. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking what is lacking cannot be counted. There's something missing in this world and I can't supply it no, much, no matter how much I study or how much wisdom I accumulate. I can't fix the broken world. And we get that in our day. You know, I talked about this last week a little bit. We make, we make insecticides in order to grow more food. And then humans use that insecticide to kill and exterminate a large number of people. You know, we have scientific, adva- scientific advancements that give us nuclear energy, cheaper energy. And, and we use that to create bombs that destroy whole cities. We create social media, and that backfires. It makes us anxious, and it makes us depressed. We, we created gun power, and, and that backfired, you know, literally. We develop airplanes that can fly across the country, but people hijack those planes and fly the planes into the World Trade Center. The more we go forward, the more we're still the same. Two steps forward and two steps back, right? That's what Solomon's saying here. He's saying that with all of our accumulated information, with all of our scientific advancement, even three thousand years after Solomon, we can't change the Genesis three world that we live in. We can't. Here, let me say it this way: we can't reverse the curse. We can't reverse the curse. Not under the sun. Not in our own power. We're not. We're not. Don't go to the New Testament just yet, and go to Jesus yet. All right. Let's just stay here in Ecclesiastes. We can't reverse the curse. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. In my small group this last week, we did kind of a, a thought experiment, I guess. We, we decided, you know, what if, what if Solomon got into a time machine and came to our world today? You know, what if Marty McFly and Doc Brown, they took the DeLorean back 3,000 years, they picked up Solomon, they brought him to our world you know, what would he conclude about our world? What would he say? And, and here's what we decided. I mean, he'd be amazed with our world. He'd be amazed by everything going on here. He'd be amazed, I think, for about six months. And then, you know, he might even read up on history and get caught up with everything that's taken place the last 3,000 years. But, but after being here a little while, I think he would say, yeah, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. These people are still messed up. This world is still mixed up. There's nothing new under the sun. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Let me just paraphrase what Solomon is saying in verse 15. He's saying, mankind, we as human beings are messed up. We are broken, and we are lacking whatever is necessary to fix us. Look at verse 16. So Solomon says in his heart, he says, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So not only did God give him wisdom, but he he even sought wisdom after the fact. And I perceived that this also, all of this, the accumulation of knowledge, the accumulation of wisdom is striving after wisdom. Wind. You know, if you've ever studied something in depth and tried to get to the bottom of it, or if you've, you've gone to college to study a program, or if you've gone to graduate school to try to, you know, study something completely exhaustively, you know that that's impossible for us. And, and it's a little discouraging too when you go to graduate school and you want to learn everything and you're like, all I've learned is how much I don't know and how much I'll never know. Why am I spending all this money for this? You actually go through that process. I had this thought, you know, even as I was finishing up, I, I, was, I wrote a dissertation. I wrote 200 pages in my dissertation on one verse of the Bible. One verse. Actually, it was half the verse. Matthew two twenty-three. And as soon as I finished it and as soon as I turned it in, as soon as I was done with school, I found some resources. I was like... Man, I should have put that in there. And that's the way it goes. The more you study a subject, the more you realize what you don't know. T.S. Eliot, the poet, he said this once. You can read this on the screen. This is so wise. He said, all our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. Doesn't it now? I mean, unless you don't get it, unless you're like, no, no, not me, I know it all. If you're honest, if you're wise, then you agree and you say, yeah, all our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. And here's the really sad state of affairs for Solomon. Look at verse 18. Solomon says, for in much wisdom is much much vexation. Let's go talk with a graduate school student and they'll tell you that or in much wisdom is much much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the ancient equivalent to our maxim, ignorance is bliss, right? That's what Solomon's saying, he's just saying it the other way. And, you know, there are times in my life, maybe you feel like this sometimes, there are times in my life where I wish I didn't know what was going on in our world right now. You know, that ignorance is bliss? Yeah, I could, I could be drawn into that. I don't want to know anymore sometimes what's going on in Afghanistan. It brings sorrow. I don't want to know about the crisis in Nigeria. I don't want to know about the crisis in Ethiopia. I, I just can't handle anymore. It's, it's sorrow. It brings vexation. I, I, wish, I wish we didn't have those things. I wish we had never split an atom and have that to deal with in our world. Because with much wisdom comes vexation, and with the increase of knowledge comes increase in sorrow. Yeah, you know, I've told you all this before. I'll just share it again. There are two podcasts, and there's so many podcasts out there, so but there are two that I listen to faithfully every week. Just two. And I've been doing this for years. I listen to Al Mollers the briefing, and I listen to the world and everything in it. Just to get an idea of what's going on in our world, I appreciate the perspectives of those two podcasts and the, the Christian worldview that they bring to those problems. But, but even in listening to those, you know, every, every weekday, I'll just tell you there are some times when a- after listening to those, I just stop and I think to myself, would I be happier not listening to this? You know, it, it, I mean, because it's good stuff, I'm glad to know it, but you know, they're reporting on what's going on in the world, they're reporting on what's going on in our country, and it's a lot of bad news. And, and afterwards, I, I think to myself sometimes, would, would it be better for my soul if I just stopped doing it, just played Angry Birds on my iPhone? Would that be a better use of my time? Would I be happier if I did that? And here's the bigger issue that Solomon is getting at. Here's really the point of what he's saying here. He, he's saying you can't figure out life with intellectual pursuits. You're not going to solve the biggest problems of why are we here? What is this all for? Because why? Because I'm going to die someday, and all of the knowledge and all the wisdom that I accumulated will go six feet under with me. We can't si- solve life's big problems. With intellectualism Even though we try And we try And we try Francis Schaeffer Said this once You can read this On the screen He said that all men Have a deep Longing for significance A longing for meaning No man Regardless of his Theoretical system Is content to look at himself As a finally Meaningless machine Which can and will Be discarded Totally And forever. I think he's right. I think that's part of us being made in the image of God. We just keep searching, 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 trying to find the meaning of life. We long for purpose and meaning in this world, but we can't find it through intellectualism. So, okay, let's try something different. Let's try a different tack. If intellectualism doesn't work, if ignorance is bliss, let's just be ignorant. Or I've I've got something better for you. Solomon's got something better for you. Let's just chase pleasure. Let's be hedonists, right? Forget intellectualism. Let's try hedonism. We chase the wind when we try to discern life's purpose through number two, hedonism. Hedonism, if you don't know, that's a word that's derived from hedone. It's the Greek word for pleasure. Pleasure. It's a philosophical system of life that you just seek pleasure. We're just seeking pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Jesus said about the soil with thorns that the seed was choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures, hedone, the pleasures of life. Luke 8, 14. The Hebrew word here that Solomon uses is simcha. And just... Practice that a little bit. Simcha. Just try that. See if it comes out. This is a word. I know it sounds negative, but it's not always negative. And Hebrew thought, this is more than just pleasure. This is a word that can be used for joy or for gladness. I mean, that's not all bad. Seeking joy, seeking pleasure, seeking gladness. Solomon says this, though. Here's the context of the use of this word. In chapter 2, verse 1, he said... I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with simcha, with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So this is you know, this is Solomon like talking to himself. Come on now, let's let's try something. Let's do something new. Let's just chase after pleasure. Let's just enjoy ourselves. Oh, okay, how'd it go for you, Solomon? It says, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? You know, I, I don't know how Solomon conducted this experiment. I, I kind of wonder: Did he bring in like a like a court jester into his palace to entertain him? I don't know. Did he start reading comedies instead of tragedies? Maybe he became a comedian so that he could entertain himself and entertain his entourage with his jokes, just to make people laugh, to make life a little bit easier. I don't. I don't know. But whatever he did, it didn't work. Solomon calls it madness here. I said, of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what what use is it? Ultimately, what use is it? By the way, just a word about comedians. This is pretty well documented. The comedians kind of present themselves as happy, joyful, jolly people. They're, they're actually some of the most depressed people in the world. And, you know, I, I remember... Several years ago, I went to watch this movie about Jerry Seinfeld called Comedian. And it was him and some other comedians. And I went with a friend. I was like, oh, this would be hilarious. And it wasn't. It it was like this documentary of these guys. It was totally depressing, the whole movie. So don't go watch that unless you want to be depressed. Verse 3. So silliness doesn't work. Look what Solomon turns to now. Look at verse 3. Many people have turned towards this. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Forget forget comedy, forget silliness. Solomon tries booze. It's wine o'clock, baby. Let's see how this works. I search with my heart to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom? What? I think what he's saying here is I got drunk and took notes. That's what I did. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine and how to lay hold on folly. Just, just embrace folly, foolishness, till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. What does this sound like? You know, just eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow we die, right? Just live it up. Just have a good time. He who dies with the most toys wins, Right? Just, this is all we've got, just, just live it up, just have a good time. Explore booze if you have to to find the meaning of life. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like a country song. That's what it sounds like, what he's saying here. Blame it all on my roots, I showed up in boots and ruined your black tie affair. Forget intellectualism is what he's saying. You know, let's just embrace hedonism. I'm not big on social graces, think I'll slip on down to the old oasis. Where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away and I'll be okay because I got friends in low places. Don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Solomon tried intellectualism. He found it wanting. So he tries hedonism. And how did that work out for him? Not any better. Look, look back at verse 1. But behold, this also was vanity. This also is vanity. More chasing the wind, more chasing his tail. Solomon says, I'm still just a hamster on a wheel. And I can't, I can't find the purpose in life They're just seeking pleasure. And maybe Solomon didn't get drunk and go crazy. There's actually some debate about this because the Hebrew is ambiguous in verse three. Look at verse three again. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Maybe he did get drunk and take notes. Some people think here that instead what he's talking about is that he, you know, he, he sought the finest wines that he could. You know, he filled, he filled his wine cellar with the best vintage that he could find. He ate caviar and drank mimosas, you know, just enjoying the finer things in life. And it didn't work. It didn't fix the things that ail him in his heart. Hedonism Let me just, young people, listen up for a minute. I can spare you a lot of pain in life if you listen to me on this point. Hedonism leaves you unhappy, restless, and miserable. Talk to any person in this room and they'll tell you stories about that. If we've learned anything from rock stars, if we've learned anything from rock bands, it's that hedonism doesn't make you happy and it doesn't satisfy ultimately the deep longings of your heart. So Solomon was a rock star he was the wisest richest man in his day and he says right here I wasn't satisfied with it just chasing my own pleasures and speaking of riches write this down as number three here's the third thing that Solomon tries so he tried intellectualism that's not working he tried hedonism that didn't work either so now he tries materialism Here's a third example of chasing the wind. We chase the wind when we try to discern life's purpose through materialism. Through materialism. Solomon writes in verse 4 he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I mean, that's, that's good, isn't it? I mean, it's better than getting drunk and taking notes. I guess he got sober and decided maybe this is the key to happiness, building stuff and pursuing more meaningful things like vineyards and houses and gardens. Some scholars have actually seen corollaries between this passage and Genesis 1 and 2. It's like, it's like Solomon is trying to recreate the Garden of Eden here. The problem is you can't get to Genesis 1 and 2 because we're in Genesis 3. That's the issue that he ran into. Look at verse 6. "I, I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. In other words, he was a rich man and he got richer and richer and richer. If you remember, God didn't just give Solomon wisdom. God also gave Solomon wealth. God was so pleased with Solomon that he asked for wisdom that he decided to add to that some other stuff. God says this, you can read this on the screen. This is 1 Kings chapter three. God tells Solomon, behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also, says God, what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. That's a big if, by the way, that if there, if you will walk in my ways, Because we know from later in 1 Kings that Solomon didn't walk in God's ways, not to the end of his life. His heart was led astray by his many wives to foreign gods. So Solomon used his wealth to accumulate stuff. He set his heart on materialistic endeavors. He built houses, he planted gardens, he accumulated herds and flocks. He had more than anybody before him in Jerusalem. Look at verse 8. I also gathered for myself silver and gold. I had money. Silver was as common in Solomon's day as anything else. It was easy to get silver. That's how rich he was. That's how rich the country was at that time. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. Everybody see that in verse 8? Just uh, let me tell you something. Music was a rare privilege in the ancient world. So I know we got music everywhere here. But in the ancient world, you know, Solomon had music on demand and nobody had that. You know, the best singers in the world just had them ready, ready to serve him. Look also at the end of verse 8 at singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. There's a euphemism at the end of this verse that I probably shouldn't explain too much. Let me paraphrase. Solomon had sex on demand. Seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines. You do the math. He had everything, everything to gratify himself. And, And I'm sure, I'm sure Solomon was the envy of all the other Israelites in his day. I'm sure Solomon was the envy of all the other kings that surrounded him in his day. Nobody had it as good as Solomon. Just ask him. He'll tell you. Look at verse 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. I was the richest. I was the best supplied. I had everything that I needed. I was also the smartest guy. I still had my wisdom that God gave me. Verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. There's a little bit of hedonism wrapped up in that materialism right there. Verse 10. I kept from my heart no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and that was my reward for all my toil. Are you seeing a theme here? Me, 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 my, 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 I, 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 I all throughout this. Where is God? Where is God in this passage? He's talking about life under the sun. God God is mentioned in passing in chapter 1, verse 13. This guy is completely and utterly self-involved and self-indulgent. He doesn't deny himself anything. You might might say, this this has to be the happiest guy in the world. This guy, he must feel great about himself. No. Look at verse 11. Actually, before you look at verse 11, let me just tell you right now that Solomon, Solomon for you is a cautionary tale. He is a cautionary tale for us. He's a cautionary tale because of this. Look at verse 11. After all this, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun." Solomon sounds like the Rolling Stones, doesn't he? I can't get no what? Satisfaction. Y'all know that song. Don't pretend like you don't, you bunch of heathens. I can't get no satisfaction is what he's saying. Solomon is the Mick Jagger of the Old Testament. I got all this. I got everything. And it's it's Hevel. I'm chasing the wind. It's, It's ultimately profitless. And here's how, listen, here's how Solomon is a cautionary tale. Here's how he... If you seek after the things in this world, if you seek intellectualism, if you seek hedonism, if you seek materialism, if you try to find your value in that, if you try to find your life's purpose in that, you will not. Solomon did it. He did it better than you and he didn't find anything. He's telling you, you will never have what I have. That's why it's so grandiose here. So don't even think about following in my footsteps in doing this. You can't find meaning in life in self-indulgence. Solomon didn't find it. We won't find it either. I heard Tommy Nelson say once that this passage in Ecclesiastes is is like your, your four years of college. Okay? You show up at school your first year, your freshman year, and you want to be intellectual. You want to learn some stuff. But then when you get to college, you find out in your first year how much you don't know about stuff. So you're like, forget that. I'm going to hedonism. So your sophomore year, you just party like it's 1999. You just live it up. That gets old really fast. So your junior year, you're like, well, forget intellectualism. Forget hedonism. I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to finish this degree. And I'm going to make a million dollars before I'm 30. So you get that degree graduate your senior year and off you go and what's really sad as you look out on our world is people people never move on from that they just keep embracing materialism materialism and they keep climbing the social ladder and they keep embracing upward mobility until you get about 70 years old and then you finally have enough money to to build that palace that you already always wanted your whole life but your hips are so bad you can't get up the stairs So you can't enjoy it. And usually it takes people about that long and they get there and they're like, what was it all for? What what am I chasing? What what am I doing? What is my life for? What's the point of all this? Listen, hear me, especially young people in this room. you don't have to make that mistake. You don't have to be 70 years old to understand that or to start asking those questions. You can start thinking this through right now. In fact, let me just... Pastoral confession time. A few weeks ago, I said, you know, you shouldn't read Ecclesiastes until you're like in your mid-40s and you have a midlife crisis. And I said, you you young people, just read Proverbs, okay? And I just want you to know that I I got rebuked by one of my elders for saying that, okay? I won't tell you which elder it was, but his initials are P. Roberts, okay? That's... (laughs) So this unnamed elder... Tony I needed Ecclesiastes when I was a teenager I read that book and finally he was asking the questions that I was asking and he eventually got to the answer that I needed at the end of the book so let's, let's ask the hardest question you can ask in this what is the meaning of life what is the purpose why are we here you might as well answer that and get it settled as a teenager some people are asking that at age 70 what is the point of all of this the famous atheist and scientist richard dawkins he said this you can read this on the screen he said human existence is neither good nor evil neither kind nor cruel but simply callous indifferent to all suffering lacking all purpose Is that the conclusion of the matter? Is that where we need to land? Listen, hear me on this. No, it is not. That is not what God created us to embrace. The astrophysicist Stephen Hawking He said, we're just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet uh, of a very average star. That's what we are. We're just a bunch of monkeys monkeying around here. Is that what life is all about? Is it? No, it's not. And Solomon, at the end of this book, he tells us what he thinks the purpose of life is. He says, the end of the matter is this. This is chapter 12. Forgive me for looking to the end, but we've got to keep this verse in mind. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And let's not stop there. Let's, let's go New Testament for a little bit if we could. The problem with, here's the problem that Solomon's addressing. The problem with life under the sun is that it's fleeting. It's short-lived. We're, we're going to die soon and be six feet under. All of us, pretty soon. And, and no amount of intellectualism, hedonism, or materialism can change that. It might make your life a little better for a while, but you're still going to be six foot under. So, so what are you going to do? Discerning the meaning of life is pointless without God. Here's why. Because life is pointless without God. Life is pointless without God. It's chasing the wind. Our meaning has to be derived from God who made the sun and who made the wind and who made us. We've got to discern our purpose in life because we are a created thing from our creator. Right? And just so you know, that God who created us, created us for relationship. He created us to experience joy with him and through him. He's a God who makes intellectual pursuits intellectually satisfying. Praise God for that good gift. He's the God who made food and made drink and made gardens and made orchards and made sex. And he gave those good gifts to us to enjoy. And we find meaning not in those gifts, but in the giver of those gifts. We find meaning in glorifying and enjoying God forever. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Y'all heard that before? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But here's the rub. Here's the rub. How can you do that if you don't live forever? Right? How are you going to do that six feet under? The answer, and this is where the New Testament comes in, is that in Jesus Christ, not only do we find the meaning of life, we also find eternal life. So that we may indeed glorify God and enjoy him forever. Forever. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you The one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the meaning of life. Knowing God. Enjoying him forever. And Jesus Christ is the source of our forever. He's the source of our eternal life. And you're not going to get there without Jesus. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You're not going to get there without Jesus. So, let me close with this. Let's go back with me to that thought experiment that we had in my small group. Let's say Solomon did have a time machine. And let's say he jumped to that time machine and came here to visit us. 2021, not a great year to visit us, but come on over. Bring your mask, Solomon, and come join us. And let's say he dropped right into our world. And I imagine, just think about that. I imagine that he would marvel at the innovation and the technology that's in our world right now. I bet he would lose his mind over the stuff that we have in our world and and, and that everybody has. It's not just the kings. We don't even have kings. We've all got great stuff. I mean, just think about it for a moment. We can go on YouTube and listen to any music ever created just by pulling out our smartphone. I'm sure Solomon would look at that and be like, wow, that's amazing. What else? We, we have knowledge and information at our fingertips, on our phones. Who needs to be as smart as Solomon when you got Google? Wow! And we've got stuff. Boy, do we got stuff. We've got indoor plumbing, and we've got electricity, and we've got cars, and we've got toys, and we've got lawnmowers, and we've got jet skis that can hover across the water. Wow! And we got entertainment, don't we? We got movies and video games that can satisfy the appetite of any hedonist. Go to the grocery store and you can get goods supplied from all over the world, right here. Wow. And you know what else we got? We got Amazon Prime. We can order anything. And have it delivered to our doorstep in two days or less. I bet Solomon would just blow his mind at that. I bet Solomon would be amazed by all of that. And maybe maybe he'd be a little envious of us for a while. But then after observing us for a few months. After observing our world for a few months. I bet he would conclude, you know what? You guys are still messed up. This place, this world is still crooked. And you're still missing something. There's something that you're missing. You've got everything. You've got anything you want, but you're still missing something. And let's just just follow that thought a little bit. Everybody's still with me? Okay, Solomon Time Machine, he's with us now. He's looking at our world. Let's just say Solomon, okay, he picks up a Bible and he reads the New Testament for the first time. And what does he read about? He reads about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whose human lineage came from him from the Old Testament. Wow! His mind is blown! And this Jesus Christ, this son of God came to earth and he died on a cross to take away the sin, to fix our crookedness, to fix our brokenness. And I bet he would read that and he would say, the cycle, the cycle of life, the circle of life, the circle of death, 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 death. It's broken now. Jesus has broken it. All that I wrote about. In Ecclesiastes. Harvest Decatur, you don't find meaning and purpose in your life through intellectualism, hedonism, materialism. You sure don't find eternal life in those things. You find meaning and purpose in life in Jesus Christ. You find eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And he's coming back to claim his own and to perfect this world. Serve him, follow him, put your faith in him. And one more thing, enjoy those gifts, good gifts that he gives. But don't mistake the giver of the gifts with the gifts. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as a church, we refuse to build our lives on anything other than Jesus Christ, our foundation, the author of our salvation, our Lord. Lord, we confess as a church body today that we are sinners saved by Jesus. We don't find our meaning in life through the things that the world tells us we should find our meaning in. We find our meaning and purpose in you. We find eternal life in you. And so we give you praise, Lord. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're going to glorify you, Lord and enjoy you as long as you give us breath here on earth and then when our days are done when you call us home we're going to get an upgrade in that and we're going to glorify you even more and we're going to enjoy you even more in eternity forever and ever God, fix our eyes on that hope. Fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, our Savior. Help us to build our lives on you, Lord, I pray. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.